Welcome to OK-ish, a podcast all about mental health in the modern world. I'm Mary Ellen Dance, a licensed mental health therapist, here to strip away misunderstandings about therapy and share exactly what I do in an honest way. Don't worry, you won't hear inspirational quotes or be told to spend more time doing self-care. I'm here to get to the real stuff using my own experiences as a therapist and as a really messy human being. Come and laugh at yourself with me as you learn not how to become great, but how to become okay-ish. Hello, happy 2022. I am so excited to be here with you all. I just have to take a moment to say that I started this podcast in 2020 and now it's 2022. It's amazing. Thank you so much for listening and supporting me and please let me know, contact me, let me know what other topics you'd like to hear. I have some new and exciting stuff coming up um, that I can't quite share all of it with you yet, but I'll be able to share with you soon some of the exciting stuff coming up. So stay tuned. But today I want to talk about some of the comments I get when people find out that I'm a therapist. Now, I've done talks about this before, right? Some of the myths and misconceptions about being a therapist. But lately, it feels like there's been a lot of, what word do I want to use? Resistance with me being a therapist. Not not that I'm a therapist, but with therapy in general. So often people say things to me like, you know, going to therapy for divorce is like a good thing, but why would I go? Like my marriage is already over. So like it's over and done with, right? People who listened to last week's episode with Renee, our divorce mediator, might say some of those things. Or I hear a lot of people say things like, I don't want to put any medications in my body. I'm strong enough to do this on my own. Or I'm not the problem. My crazy, insert whatever family member, is the problem. So why would I go to therapy? Stuff like that, right? Oh, my favorite is people that are like, there's no stigma around therapy. I totally support people who go to therapy, but I would never go. I don't need to. That's my favorite. So today, with the start of the new year, I always joke that I get a lot of new clients as New Year's resolutions, but we're all making New Year's resolutions. We're thinking about what we want to do in 2022, and maybe therapy's on the list. Maybe it's not. This episode is not trying to convince you to go to therapy. It is more for the purposes of me showing how some of these statements that I've been hearing over and over again, especially recently, are not helpful and quite frankly, just just wrong and inaccurate. I want to kind of cut through the bullshit and say that these statements are wrong. Again, not trying to get you to go to therapy. I mean, everyone should go to therapy, but that's not the purpose of this. It's more to kind of debunk some of these thoughts. So what I'm going to do today is first, I'm going to talk about why therapy works, like the actual you know, science behind why therapy and medication work. And then I'm just going to go through some of these common phrases that I've been jotting down for the past two months or so that people keep telling me and why they're, why they're just untrue. So I'm really excited. So let's dive in. 
So there's lots of different types of therapy. The therapy that I do is called talk therapy. And because it's, you know, talking to someone, (laughs) Um, it's not like physical therapy or occupational therapy or things like that. It's talk therapy. And I use cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT. Now, many of you have probably heard of CBT. Um, CBT is kind of like the, the right now, like the golden standard of therapy because it's basically the best treatment we have. Psychodynamic therapy is also used. That's kind of like Freud's style therapy. And it's also used these days, but CBT right now is kind of the gold standard. You may have heard of other versions kind of within the CBT umbrella, like systematic desensitization or REBT, which is rational emotive behavioral therapy. There's kind of like lots of versions, but the big umbrella is CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. This was developed by um, Aaron Beck, who actually just died like a month ago. He was in his 90s and he was still practicing, which is... I just think so cool. And the reason that CBT is the gold standard, CBT is basically, unless you're going to some very, very specific type of therapy, if you just like Google a therapist and call them up and go to their office, they're going to be using CBT, right? It's what's it's what's taught in school. And the reason that is, the reason that it's the gold standard is because it's very, very effective and proven, clinically proven to work specifically with anxiety, depression, and OCD-related disorders. I could go into lots and lots of details about like scientific research studies regarding CBT, but basically it's clinically proven. It works. People who have mental health symptoms and have gone through CBT don't have symptoms anymore or their symptoms are significantly less. CBT also changes the way your brain looks. Like literally, researchers and scientists look at images of the brain and neural circuits in the brain change and look different from someone who has been in CBT versus someone who hasn't. I mean, I think that's absolutely wild. I think it's absolutely wild. And when people are like, "Mm, therapy just doesn't work for me. Well, it changes the shape of your brain. It literally changes how your brain looks. If we took a picture of your brain, it would look different. I think it's just so cool. I've talked in past episodes about neural pathways and how kind of what we focus on and the way we think changes neural pathways. And guess what? Those are the changes that we see when they take images of our brains. So there's some proof for you, right? Brains look different. That's some proof that CBT works. But also we get a lot of proof from like self-report, behavioral reports, right? Of people who are able to make changes, people who are able to quit using mood-altering substances, people who are able to you know, stop maladaptive behaviors, people who are in recovery from eating disorders, right there, we see symptoms ending or uh, lessening, weakening, I should say. CBT like trains and reinforces those neural pathways. 
um, that I was talking about that we can see on brain images. But that helps us as humans to become easier and easier to deal with current stressful situations, but also future stressful situations. I started going to therapy when I was in my early 20s. Anyone who knows me, who has known me since before my early 20s to now, know that I'm different. I process things so differently. I understand things differently. I interpret things differently. I communicate differently. I'm able to just like deal (laughs) very differently. And you know, I'm sure some of that is natural maturity, right? Because I started going when I was in my early 20s. But like, the way I think about the world is so different than it used to be so different. And it's really validating and really cool when people notice those changes, right? Some of like my girlfriends from college, they'll notice if I have a stressful situation, they'll be like, oh my gosh, like you, you different, you're different. Like the way you talk about that is different. Or, you know, even with, again, some of these girlfriends from college, they will talk about some struggles they're having. And they're like, Marilyn, you used to struggle with this, but you don't really struggle with it anymore. Like, teach me, tell me, explain that to me. So CBT works. Now, I'm not saying that other therapies don't work. Like I said, CBT is like the gold standard. Other therapies do work. I don't know as much evidence about other therapies because I like I don't practice psychodynamic therapy. If you're interested in that, I can certainly let you know more information about it, but I want to focus on CBT today since that is the most widely used and the most evidence-based. The other thing I'm going to talk about before we go into some of me challenging these statements that I've, that I've been hearing recently is medications. Now, I am not a doctor. I am not a prescriber. I cannot prescribe meds. Thank goodness. I don't want to be able to prescribe meds. That sounds way too stressful. But I get a lot of people who say that they don't want to take mental health meds because they want to deal with it on their own and they're strong enough. And that decision is a completely personal decision. But I want to tell you about schizophrenia. I actually recently told my brother and sister-in-law about this. And my brother was like, I can't wait till I'm on Reddit and can share this fact. He was like, that is such a fun fact. What I'm about to share is my favorite mental health fact. People with schizophrenia, one of the causes of schizophrenia is having too much dopamine in our brain. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter. There's too much of that neurotransmitter dopamine firing in our brain, which causes hallucinations, delusions some of these symptoms of schizophrenia. So again, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist, but from my understanding, antipsychotics, medications that are used to manage schizophrenia, focus on kind of manipulating the levels of dopamine in the brain. Guess what the, guess what too little dopamine in the brain is? When I ask other people this question, they often guess things like depression or bipolar disorder. Someone recently guessed anxiety. None of those are true. Too little dopamine in the brain is Parkinson's. Guess what? Parkinson's is a physical health disorder. 
So people with Parkinson's disorder often take medications to increase the dopamine in their brain. And so from my understanding, again, not a doctor, but from my understanding, sometimes people with Parkinson's disease who start taking medication can sometimes suffer from side effects of medications, including hallucinations, because they're increasing the dopamine levels. So what this is telling me is that the opposite, opposite, I'm using, I'm using quotes because it's not really the opposite, but like the opposite of a mental health disorder is a physical health disorder. And I don't know about you, but I, I imagine if you had Parkinson's disease, you, you'd probably want to take medication for it. And this just blows my mind. And it's my favorite fact to tell when talking about medication, because in our brains, mental health and physical health aren't really any different, right? And medications manipulate like neurotransmitters and hormones. And I don't really know what else they do because I'm not a scientist, but I always use that example to challenge people to think a little bit differently about mental health medications. Because, I mean, I know if I was diabetic, I would definitely want to be taking my insulin. So now that I gave this little lesson to you guys, thanks for sticking with me. (laughs) Now that we know some of that background information, I want to go back to some of the statements I said at the beginning. Some of these statements that as a therapist, I hear all the time. So the first one, I'm just going to go through them. The first one is, why would I go to therapy for my divorce? It's already over. (sighs) I hear this one a lot. And therapy is not necessarily there to fix or change something tangible, right? The marriage is over. That's a tangible thing. It's not there to say, let's get your marriage back together. Sometimes it can be. But like divorce is traumatic. It fucks up those neural pathways and those neural circuits that I was just talking about us. And it makes us feel like crap. Therapy, the goal of therapy is for us to feel better. And I think people have such a hard time like wrapping their brains around it because like we do things for tangible results, like even like healthy eating, right? People say that they want to eat healthy to feel better, but like they also want to eat healthy so they can maintain a weight and their skin can glow and they can sleep better and right? Like tangible things. Like as humans, like It's so much easier to focus on those tangible things. Oh, I want to get a raise. I can see that. I can see my bank account go from this number to this number. It's harder to see that with feelings. And it's also easy to ignore crappy feelings. We have gotten really accustomed to just like ignoring crappy feelings and just living with it and just dealing with it. And I just got to, you know put on my crash helmet and go. But therapy is designed to make you feel better. And I don't know about you, but we can all feel better in one way or another. The next one I get a lot is I don't want to put any medications in my body. I'm strong enough to do this on my own. So I already kind of said what I had to say when I was teaching about dopamine and when I was talking about dopamine and schizophrenia. And again, that's a conversation that you need to have between you and your doctor or you and your psychiatrist. But this idea that mental health is about strength pisses me off because I know some people who struggle a lot with mental health 
who are way stronger than some other people. It has literally nothing to do with strength. And I want us all to change our our mindsets and change our views on this like, I'm strong. Like, oh, I hate it. I hate it when I go on Instagram and I see like, you're such a strong, badass woman. Like, oh, because it's not about strength. A common thing that happens with people who are in recovery for substances is people will often, you know, let's say someone is clean from alcohol for like a month. They'll often say, you know, I kind of want to test myself. I want to see how strong I am. And they'll want to like go to a bar or go to an event where there's alcohol to see how strong they are, to see if they can test it. And a famous phrase in the Alcoholics Anonymous community is, if you sit at a barbershop for long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Meaning if you sit at a bar for long enough, you're going to get, you're going to take a drink. Like that's just how it works. It has nothing to do with strength. It doesn't mean you're not strong. That's just how it works. And so my clients know that I, I like cut them off if they're saying the word strong, or I wish I was stronger. or I'm not strong enough to do that or whatever. Cause again, it's not about strength. And quite frankly, people who overcome mental health disorders and people who live with mental health disorders are really strong in my book. All right. The next one I want to talk about. I'm not the problem. My crazy insert whatever family member you want to is the problem. So why would I go to therapy? They're the one who needs therapy. I get that a lot, too. People are like, oh, you're a therapist. That's so great. I know so many people who need therapy. I'm like, yeah, you're probably one of them. That's what I usually say. (laughs) Anyways, we deal with this a lot. And oftentimes, oftentimes it's true. Like oftentimes if there is someone in our life who is not mentally well or mentally stable and not going to therapy, oftentimes their support people are urged to go to therapy to get the support that they need to help that one person, that one loved one. But, but here's the other reason. If you feel like I'm not the problem, my crazy whoever is the problem, so why would I go to therapy? Well, guess what? You have no control over that crazy person. You have no control over that family member. You have no control over, you know, your nut job mother or your, um, you know, whatever. Again, crazy and nut job are not clinical terms. Um, I'm saying this like people would say this to me. Like these are the words that people say to me. We have no control over that person. But guess what? We do have control over ourselves. And I hate to break it to you, but none of us are perfect. So might as well get control of our own shit. And maybe it'll help us deal with that difficult family member a little bit better. It will help us respond to them a little bit better. It will help us not to, you know, feel a fiery ball of rage inside of us every time we're near that person. (laughs) That's why we'd go to therapy. All right, I've got two more. I've got two more that I want to debunk. So the first one is, I know I have some struggles, but other people have it so much worse. I'll go to therapy if I'm ever that bad. There, there's just like so many things wrong with this sentence that I, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. Yes, it is great if we can be self-aware 
and aware that, you know, we may have things going on, but other people have it worse and have that global world view. Being aware of that is a good thing. But saying that our problems don't matter because other people have it worse is just invalidating ourselves. It's just minimizing ourselves. And saying I'll go to therapy if I am ever that bad. Well, maybe therapy can stop you from ever getting that bad. Maybe therapy can prevent you from getting to that point where, you know, we need some serious medical attention. Therapy is not a crisis service. Crisis services are calling 911 or calling 211, which is Lifeline. If you ever have thoughts of hurting yourself, please call 211. It's a great resource. But those are crisis services. And I feel like a lot of people view therapy as a crisis service, right? If it gets that bad, if shit hits the fan, I'll go to therapy. Well, Okay, but like, what about like, instead of just like waiting for shit to hit the fan, we like start dealing with these things now and maybe shit won't hit the fan or maybe we'll be able to handle it better when it does. But I, I hear that all the time. People say that to me all the time. Well, I'll go if things get really bad. Oh, fuck. I don't want things to get really bad for you. So go now. All right. And then the last last uh, thing I hear all the time that I want to debunk today is I support therapy. Therapy is great, but I don't need it. It's great for other people, but I don't need it. Or it's great for other people, but it's not for me. I said in the beginning of this episode that that's one of my favorite things to hear because it makes my blood boil. That's like saying Apples aren't for me, as long as you're not allergic to apples, right? It's like saying, you know, it's like saying like, oh, healthy eating is is for everyone, but it's not for me. Or walking, if you have the ability to walk. Walking is for everyone, but, you know, it's not for me. Maybe, maybe that makes other people feel good. Maybe that's healthy for other people, but it's not healthy for me. Like, The lack of self-awareness that comes with that statement with therapy is great. I totally support therapy just shows that we still have a long way to go with destigmatizing therapy and mental health. Because are there mental health diagnoses? Absolutely. But could everyone benefit from therapy, whether you have a diagnosis or not, because we're all humans and we all make mistakes and we all have icky feelings that we want to feel better And, you know, we all can be improving. Yes. Therapy is not just for people with like a serious and persistent mental health disorder. Yes, it is for people who have serious and persistent mental health disorders, but it's not only for that. And I see a lot of people in therapy who have never been to therapy before and they come to therapy and they're like, holy cow. Is this anxiety? Have I been feeling anxiety my whole life? I thought everyone felt this. I didn't know there was a name for it. I didn't know that's what it was called. Now, I'm not saying like, oh, you might have a secret mental health disorder. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I want to bridge this gap between, oh, I totally support therapy, but not for me. I'm good. It's not for me. And therapy is also 
not discriminatory. Therapy can work for everyone. It's not like, oh, some people it works for and some people it doesn't. Yes, sometimes you have to find the right fit as a therapist or you're not in a frame of mind to want therapy. Like they're, they're absolutely like there's, there's a thousand reasons why you might go to therapy and might not feel like it's working for you in that moment with that therapist, you know, in that time in your life. But like therapy can work for everyone. Therapy, if it's, you know, the appropriate time and the appropriate therapist and you, you know, feel comfortable and are open and are honest, therapy can work. So again, I apologize that this, this episode was like me on my soapbox about therapy, but the next time you hear someone say these things, right? Cause it's like, oh, all these things make me cringe and I hear it a lot. Recognize that these things aren't true. These things just aren't true. They may be, you know, societal views, but it doesn't mean that that's actually true about therapy. And you're all are going to be like, I know the truth about therapy because I listen to okay-ish and anyone can go to therapy and that's okay-ish too. 